House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Joining us today is, uh, he needs no introduction. No, he's been here before. Uh, Robbie <laughs> Thomas, who's got a new book out, and he's the psychic detective. Thank you for being here, Rob. No, thank you for having me back. Thank you. Anytime. We enjoy having you. Uh, I love being here. So, this is exciting. Um, you've got a new book coming out. Um, what, what's it all about? What's going on with the new book? Yeah, the new book, it, you know, it's taken me quite some time to get this finally out the door. I would say roughly eight years out the door. Every time I go to bring this body of work out, it's always another case finding somebody alive, solving another murder case. So I just kept putting that in the back burner, adding it to the book. And then you got so much, which turned out to be almost a 400-page book, so I cut it down to size so that it would be not too boring case after case. And we're roughly about 235 pages now. Um, the book itself details with astronomical amount of documentation. For each case, we have text messages, we have emails that went back and forth between detectives and myself, uh, families. There's testimonial letters from each detective in cases and families as well. And then there's news clips, photos of being on the front lines with different detectives. There's some photos in the book with America's Most Wanted film crew who filmed me for my pilot series, Psychic Profiler, after the same book. And I just put it all together, finally getting this thing out of the can and showing to people that psychic ability and psychic profilers do work with all levels of law enforcement internationally with proven facts of solving the cases and bringing people home alive. We've had quite a few interviews lately, Robbie, with um, many different theories about how we receive information as mediums and where we receive you know, the source of that information. What's your view? I, my view is, I, I, my, my, my faith is Lord Jesus Christ. And one good example of this is when I was in Virginia filming the paranormal show that I was involved with last year, we came along um, the 17th of November, arriving in Virginia. I get a text message of a lady in my hometown saying, her husband's brain dead, and that the doctors wanted to take him off life support. Could I come and help her? And I said, I just landed in Virginia. Could they please hang tough and I can come there? So somehow she persuaded the neuro neurological team in the IC unit to hang, hang tough, not to unplug them. And I made it back on Tuesday. I drove straight through. got a car with my wife, and we drove straight through 12 hours. I get back to the, to the hospital. And I, I never seen an individual like this in my life. I, he looked like a machine. He had tubes coming out of the side of his ribs. He had three IVs. He had tubes in his mouth. He, he was literally all hooked up to everything. Um, I just started, I just took my hat off and started to pray. And I asked God, I said, you know, please let him converse with me and find some meaning to this. What's wrong? Then I started hearing neurological toxicity. I heard, they're killing me. I heard my brain is swelling. I heard it's going to take time to heal. I turned to the wife, and she said, oh, no, it's not good. And I said, no, no, and I hugged her. 
and I explained to her first before looking at the, the doctors and whatever there, and I told her exactly what I just told you, and I left because now the meeting's starting. I get a text message from her about an hour and a bit later, and she says, the ICU unit is up in arms. Everybody's running around trying to explain to her the mistake that they made. And I said, what did you mean? And in the letter in the book, she writes how it step-by-step step went down that they actually were giving him the wrong medicine. They were killing him. And the answers I got were from God um, through Bill, the gentleman who laid in bed dead. Mm. So, you, so you don't have a, a guide or an intermediary or... Um, yeah, I have guides and, and angels, but my main two individual to go to, I always pray to Jesus, always. And I ask for guidance in that relation that if there is any information that can come through from whomever is on the other side or beside me or with me, please let it happen. And in this instance, it did. It happened. It was Bill's spirit that was coming towards and, and telling me these things. I could hear him audible from the audio and just staring at him visually you can see that his eyes were open but he wasn't there he was brain dead today Bill two months later Bill's at home he's alive and he's eating he can't walk yet because of the brain swelling but they beat the doctors they didn't unplug him and um, God saved them amazing story now many people have psychic abilities or, you know, paranormal uh, abilities, and oftentimes they find it very, very difficult to come to grips with this. Um, knowing you, Robbie, it, you discovered your abilities uh, early on in, in your late teens. When did you know that this was going to be your purpose? Yeah, good question. The switch that really hit me was in my late teens when I went to become a police officer at age 17. And then later on in my 20s when I, I was hired when I was 17, I did the police testing, and I was fired the same day because you had to be 20 years of age to be an auxiliary. And I beat out 100 individuals for all this strength testing, psychological testing, what have you. But I pursued this later on and became a police officer in my early 20s. Now, my adolescent, early childhood, and communicating with spirit, it was more of a learning phase, learning how to cooperate and listen and see what was happening. It was more of um, an essence of letting it soak in and trying to find myself. Now, if I would have told that to my peer section, you know, I would have been crushed. I mean, people would have thought I was nuts and what have you. But come full circle up into the teenage area, in adolescent time, 20 years of age, that's when I knew. And when I was hired on as a police officer and there was an individual that was dead and I was giving CPR to, I heard him say, let me go. I stepped back for a moment and then I, I went back to doing vitals and then checking and then going to do CPR one more time. And I heard him say, let me go real loud. So I quit. And in doing so, when you're a police officer, you just don't quit. They just don't let you say, okay, you know, it's not like a job. You just quit. So they wanted to know why. They sent down a film crew. They sent down a captain and a sergeant. 
and they came into my home, and they wanted this on film. And they were making a movie called, um, as a working tool for EMTs, firefighters, and police officers who quit under duress. But I wasn't stressed out. What was the problem was I just knew I was going to do something different than become a police officer and work with law enforcement in that parameter. So here we are. We're talking on film, and they came to that magical question, why I wanted to quit. And when I explained to them about the individual in, the, in that room who was dead, um, you know, and what was going on, and I heard them say, let me go, you should have seen their faces. I mean, they were just stunned. But that's, that's the truth of the matter, and, I, you know, you've you got to follow your truth. And I did. Have you, has your relationships with your colleagues changed over the years, maybe? Um... My colleague or my colleagues? Uh-oh. Colleagues, so, so people from the police, um, friends, have they oh, changed yeah. your beliefs and your and what you, the work that you do? Yeah, you know, it, 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 uh, you know, Julie, it has transformed and really turned a 360. In the beginning, it was very difficult. But as time went on and one case got solved, another got solved, and then pretty soon word got out and it just became we can call him, we can email him or what have you, and I would answer the call. Um, and that and that and that's been like so now I look at it in the, in, the, in today's day, it's so easy. But back then it was a hard transgression turning that corner, but it made it. And we're looking at twenty eight years from my very first case. Twenty eight years and it was a long walk. So um, colleagues look at this and say, you know, it, it's, it's something different, but yeah, we can trust him. Um, I've spoken at many conventions, which Kevin has seen me at, and I consider him a colleague, and I'm sure if something ever ar arises, he would give me a call. I'd be there for him, and, you know, no, no questions asked. So when I look at different law enforcement throughout the United States, internationally even, it's, um, I think it's a good thing because then it's not that it's just me. We're a team, and it, it makes law enforcement agencies look at this whole demographic of psychic abilities and people who have this ability that they can possibly rely on another individual. So how does a person take that first step in, in gaining credibility with law enforcement? Yeah, it's a big step, um, and, I, and I tell everybody on every show I do, please do not put yourself in the stupidity I did my very first case. When I was sitting beside the murderer, and he confessed to me how he shot and killed Mark Campbell, along with his cohort, you know, um, he grabbed me, and he checked me for a wire, and then he yeah. told me afterwards, after he questioned me, that, you know, I'm going to kill you. I, you know, you don't put yourself in those positions. That was something that was really naive of me and very not um, smart whatsoever. But as you get on in doing the cases and the, and the police know who you are, it's the solving, the actual giving of the perception of a different part of evidence that they can move forward on even or finding somebody alive. And then they can say, wow, it really is true. He is doing this. 
And over the course of the years, the many, many years, I've learned one good thing. And a good psychic profiler will do this. You'll keep every piece of documentation you ever get from a police officer. You'll ask them ahead of time that you want something in credentials that you'll show that you do this work. You speak with the families. And when you do good and it comes from the heart and you prove your point, you get that. They're more than willing to give it to you. Law enforcement, do not hesitate to endorse somebody who is actually able to do this for real. And in terms of um, justice and the, you know, obviously, because I'm in the UK and, you know, the laws and, and the way things are done are very different, but in terms of, of the kind of mediumship, the psychic um, influence on a case, how do you, you cannot go into a court of law and say, well, I had a vision or I, 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 I you know, we went to a medium and, and this is what they said. So you have to come up with hard evidence, don't you, Robbie? Yeah, you do, Julie. You have to come up with something that's very substantial and evidential. So when you being the police officer come to me and we go through the motion of a double homicide and I find the knife that stabbed and, and gutted two individuals and then we find out that one individual that I'm speaking with and I'm holding the recording and this is part of a story that's actually in the book and he confesses to me under under the, 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 the tape, that's hardcore evidence. And now they can't say the psyche did this, but you are the working tool. So it gives the blue line that substantial piece of tool or, or evidence that they can take for themselves and say, we obtain this by our investigation. And it stays at that point. It doesn't include the psychic. You are the tool. But on the other end now, the flip coin, we look at it this way. After the case is done, they give you all the credential and say, yes, we've done this. He's the person or she's the person that helped us. And you get that as, as your backing. One day, the courts are going to recognize that the ability of someone like myself can walk into a case, sit down and profile two people who have murdered a little girl, and show where the body is, and then they arrest those two people and find the body, that's going to be evidence. You will become the evidence. That will be coming. Because the documentation, the actual ability that is, without a doubt, proof, the writing is on the wall, they have to use that as evidence. And then, and in turn, you might have the other side, or the, the defending lawyer say, well, we can't because it's circumstantial. How did he, well, how did he not get the name of that individual who murdered that four-year-old little boy? How did he not find that little boy's body being thousands of miles away in a different country? This has to come to play in court. It will sooner or later. Have you ever had somebody say, well, actually, you know too much, so you must be, a, uh, you, you've got to be a suspect? Oh, yeah. <laughs> good question. Good question. Um, Kevin. Kevin did that to me. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I did a case at a Mount, Mount... Kevin's got to work first before he could do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Kevin's going to put me in jail. Um, a Mount Rainer. There was um, an individual, a friend of mine, who works with the Doe Network, Missing People. And he called me up and said, my brother-in-law's daughter was murdered. We, we need help. I said, okay, just point me in the right way to the detective, and you call him first. 
He said he did. The detective called me back. He says, I'm going to give you, like, five minutes of my time. This guy was really strong-headed and bullheaded and, you know, narrow-minded, if you will, at the prospect of a psychic profiler jumping in on this case. He says, if whatever you send me, if it's any good, I'll call you back. I said, okay. So I did my drawings. I spent time on what I was doing. I gathered up my evidence, what I seen, looking through the photograph of the little girl that was murdered. I faxed it off to him, and I thought, I didn't hear anything back for about five minutes. Uh, you're not going to call me. The phone rang. He's on the other end of the line, and he's irate. And he's like, how much information did they tell you? And how did you know that this was the guy that you drew that I already have in prison right now? And he's going on and on and on and on and on. He's like putting me on the spot like I was there. And I said, no, no, no. Tommy works for the Doe Network. I'm in Canada. He sent me this. And, you know, I have all the documentation through email. I can prove I'm home here. IP address, I'm home here answering this stuff. So I had no idea what you're, you know, about this case. And, you know, that's, that's one uh, scenario of what, what you're trying to get to. It's very difficult at times when you, when you get on the front lines, even being in person, which I was in Washington on a, two different separate murder cases down there. I get off the plane and Ronald Reagan Airport, went into the DSA's office, and then there's all the detectives and what have you. And it's like Fort Knox in there. I mean, they check you over and over. You're going through everything just to get into the, the federal bureau office. And so here we are. And I'm looking at suspect A, and I'm looking at certain file material. And then he goes, here's the map of Maryland, which is part of Virginia, Washington, D.C. And he goes, finder. And that's all I had to go on. And so that was the end of the meeting. I'm a little upset. I just flew all these hours to come down here. They take me back to my hotel room, my wife and I. I take my wife on every death scene. And so then we uh, get to the hotel room. I'm upset not at the individuals. I'm upset at the situation because you got all these fine, beautiful people trying to find resolve for a family. It was a CIA individual's daughter who was murdered. So we got the CIA involved. We got NSA who actually, and you know what? <laughs> these people don't work with psychics, and but they were on the death scene when I was there. I mind you, the NSA guy didn't say two words to me. He never did talk. He's all you know, numbers and whatever. I don't know how they work. But we're walking and doing doing all the, the diagrams while we're on scene. And then I hand him the map to the, the DSA, the head detective, Homer. Homer looks at it. He looks right at me and he goes, you know, out of everywhere, that's the only road I was looking at too. And it's a short road. Now I'm in Canada. In my notes, I write down dumping ground, um, the, the, how the, I outlined the road, how it looked, and near Air Force. And sure enough, it was near Andrews Air Force Base. You drive on that road, Julie, and there's mattresses, there's people's TVs. It's a short little road off of Highway 4, way back in, and it's like a dumping ground. And sure enough, we went through all the, the footing of everything. Homer decides, I'm going to take him for a car ride try it off to see if I'm, you know, just playing games or, you know, see if I'm going to second-guess myself. I drove all over Maryland with this guy. And he's like, is this it? Is this it? Is this the place? I said, nope. 
I don't know, and I caught on to this game about five minutes in, and I let him do his thing. It was a nice little car ride. I got to see Maryland for a while, and then I looked at I looked at Homer, and he appreciated this. Believe me, he really did. And I said, you can take me back to the road now. I'm tired of being in the car. And he just laughed. And we went all the way back to the, the road. We knew right exactly where we were. Um, we brought the dog teams out. We found a bag that had certain items in this bag that pertained to what was missing from her and him. Um, the phones pinged off the towers, which put on that road, which I did not know. That's what made Homer so, like, wow, you, you picked that little road. And I, a year to the very day, I get a phone call from the mom who was in CIA, and she says, they found her. I thought, oh, my gosh, great. And it's a very day, a year to the very day. And she goes, Homer's doing um, dental work uh, to find out because the body decayed, and she'll get back to me in a few days. So I'm waiting and waiting. The phone call comes, and she goes, you described a girl wrapped in a blanket 100 feet from the road. And she goes, you know what? You found somebody else's baby, not mine. Oh. Now, that's one in a million shot, but I look at it this way. Spirit on the other side, and I know Julie can, can understand this. Spirit on the other side sometimes don't want to be found at that moment, but they're going to help somebody else, and they're going to find somebody else's family member. And that happened, and it was just amazing how that took place. It was exactly how I described it and exactly where the body was. Why, why is that, Robbie? Well, why would a spirit not want to be found but locate somebody else for you? Now, you, you remember now, living here is but five minutes only in heaven, and it's a blink of an eye. So when we say we live a lifetime here, it's not that long. It really is not that long. So when I say to people, love life and love people, everybody, because everybody needs to have love, do it because our, our short life is here. On the other side, they're watching out for us. So unselfishly, Kathleen made me find this other family's baby. And you know what? Hats off to her because sooner or later she's going to be found. The monster who murdered her, Here's the difficulty, and I know you can attest to this, Kevin. When a body goes missing or a person goes missing from one county but her phone pings in another county, you can't arrest the individual because it, uh, without murder without a body because she, it shows that she went missing in a different county, not the county that they want to get her for. So was, that's the law in, in Maryland, and it was very difficult. I couldn't wrap my head around it. If you were in Canada, they arrest you, regardless. If you went missing in the province over or whatever, you know. But in America, it's really different, the laws. And um, so I said, okay, I chalked it up to that's the law in Maryland, and we'll go with it. But we're still going to go after this guy. We're going to get him. And that's where we are right now with that case. Um, he knows it. He knows we're on to him. And his time is very, very little left. As we left that case and where it is with all the evidence that we got and what have you, they're getting a warrant for him for something. I forget what they mentioned it was, but his time is, is very limited. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd like to kind of revisit Julie's earlier question. Um, I understand from what you've said that you receive your information 
you know, from God or, or from Jesus or sometimes right. from the Spirit. Right. But as, as, as they hand you that map and that photograph and they sit you down and say, okay, find her, like, like you said, how, how does the information present itself to you? I mean, what are the mechanics of what you're doing? Well, the mechanics of that day was, and I'll, and I'll be honest, <laughs> um, when we got to the hotel room, I was so upset, like I said, at the whole situation, coming off that long flight, being handed a map, then being at a loss. I opened a beer up. I took a big drink of a beer. I put the beer down. I'm very irate. I look at the map, and it was like tunnel vision. And I wasn't focusing on any particular spirit or God or anybody. I was focusing on how angry I was and how I was so center-focused on looking at that's all they gave me was a map. You know what I mean? It was like an empty, mm -hmm. here you go. And I just took the pen and I circled that little tiny road and I threw the map down and my wife goes, you're not done, are you? And I said, yeah, I'm done. And that was my evening. Um, it was just being drawn to it. Now, where you say, where did that come from? God or spirit? You know, who pointed you that road? I can't, I can't answer that because I was so focused on being angry and I just did it. Do, would you say that maybe the intensity of that emotion maybe changed your energy? Oh, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, I became tunnel vision. Um, I wasn't—I clued out everything around me, so I didn't know what, what was around me. And it was just focused right on that road. Uh, what I described in my head on paper prior to leaving was running through my brain really quick, and it was just—I could see it, so I just circled the road. Well, wow. I mean, you know, we we could roll dice all day long looking for snake eyes and not hit it, but you hit it within a few minutes. I mean, yeah. that, that, that is just a, a amazing. It, you know, I, I would like to attribute my abilities to the beer, but... Yeah. <laughs> you know, PBR is good. Was. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, I look, I, I look at it this way. Um, and as we go into the book about the lady who went missing, here, here's another great example for you guys. I'm sitting down in my home. I get a phone call from uh, law enforcement officer Andy DeLay. I did a double homicide with him in Kentucky once, and so he called me back again for a repeat case, but he's in Florida in uh, Kenneth City Police Department. And he says, the bolo went out at 9.30, Robbie, and she's missing. She's an elderly lady missing, endangered. We need your help now. Can you can you help? I said, send me the case file. Send me a photo. Send me something. So he did. I'm looking at this lady's photo. Her name's Charlene. And I'm looking at Charlene, and I'm talking to Andy on the phone, and I'm describing rocks and water, and he jumped the gun, and he sent a bunch of police officers down to some creek or something that he thought would be the place, and it wasn't. And then I said, I'll call you back. I'm writing my stuff, and I'm texting him now. And I said, no, she took a bus, and she ended up in the Bay Area. And there, in the Bay Area, there's a bunch of rocks, and you get into a public area in that, in that way that she crossed over, and so it's like a bridge in that area. Sure enough, he's got, now we've got hundreds of police officers all over looking for helicopters in the sky. And as he describes this in his validation letter in the book during this case, and within an hour, 
of the description I gave, we found Charlene alive in Tampa Bay. Man. So, I've got a question, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask this. What do you do with the cases where you're wrong? Okay, and I'm trying to find a wrong case, Kevin. Um, now, that's not being arrogant. It's not being, you know, egotistical. I did a case of a missing child out of Seattle. The detective was very arrogant. This detective was arrogant. Again, here we go. You know, it's not his problem or it's just the way that police officers are. They see black and white sometimes. And when a new guy comes in on the case, you know, they don't like it. So the mom brought me in, and I said to her, he went through, and this is a really weird family, by the way. You got to, you know, they got tunnels from one house to another. Like, this is a really weird, wacko story, by the way. And the, the father lost custody of the child, so he decides to go underground and take the child. He takes off, and they're asking me questions. And I say, okay, I see him going through Minnesota up into Canada. And the mom goes, okay. And then all of a sudden, she gets a call from somebody that they've been looking for, for this guy for a while as well. And when you go underground, there are people who hunt you down. They took a picture of him in Quebec, sent it to the mom. She goes, is this in Canada? And she shows me the picture. She goes, because I got somebody sent this to me. And I looked at it, and I said, that's French. That's in, that's in Quebec. I see the signs and everything. And so she tells the detective the detective wanted nothing to do with this case anymore, or with me on the case, by the way. That's what it meant. And he explained to me how weird this family, both families were. He liked to dress up in women's clothing, and the families were for gypsies from over in Czechoslovakia or some place like that over there. They had tunnels under their house, homeschooled people. Um, the mom was a, a, a mail-order bride or something like this. It was really a wacko story. But the detective didn't want me on the case anymore. I don't understand why, because we actually had validation. He was in Canada, and which I said. So being wrong, I guess that would be the wrong, I guess, um, looking at it in that perspective. Um, you know, there's been some very high-profile cases I've been on where I've been told to get off because it involved, and we all know in every profession, I want everybody who's listening to this, in every profession, we all know there's good and bad apples in everything. Lawyers, doctors, firefighters, and I've sat and put um, coroners and everybody and got them in hot water with the law and also police officers you know I'm sorry to say but it is um, I got pulled off on a case because of the sex slave trade and I've gotten actually two people out of the sex slave trade that are in the book and you can read about it and they both got home alive in this you know um, instance it was a very deep case it involved a lot of individuals back in 1974 have come full circle now and have prestigious positions in life who run the city. So I've gotten information, um, even had the witness come forward from 1974 who had documentation stuffed in her walls all those years, handed it to me, please pull up in my driveway, take it out of the trunk of my car, and all these meetings and taped meetings, by the way. And I remember, you know, another thing, good point to everybody out there who, who gets involved with this, make sure you record everything. Make sure you do everything and keep second and third copies, send them to individuals so you're protected. Um, in the book I wrote too, 
you know, just a real quick footnote. Read between the lines in this book. It's not only showing you how I solved the case, but it's showing you how. And it's showing you, read between the lines on what proper procedure and doing psychic ability with law enforcement. Because there's a lot of people out there who say, I work with police, and they say they're psychic, they can't prove it, they'll never give a name of a detective they work with. And I started the show saying this, all law enforcement will endorse you. If you solve a case, they're more than happy to bend over and give you uh, a, a citation or, or something that proves that you did this. So in saying stopping the, you know, at the end of a case and not solving it, that would, that would probably be one too. Um, it's maddening because we all know who did it, but you can't put them in jail because they run the city. They're like prestigious people now. Um, it, it's amazing. As a medium, you don't always get the information right. And I hear what you're saying, that um, you, you don't feel there's been a particular wrong thing. But sometimes mediums, this is my personal view of your case. Please, please I, I totally respect where, where you are and what you're doing. But sometimes having the wrong information come through, or, if, or maybe information that we don't understand, because... You know, we don't always understand the information we're getting straight away. It, sometimes it takes time to make sense of what spirit is giving um, to mediums. Um, that can delay cases. That, that can that an outcome or finding somebody in. How, yeah. would, you, how, how would you view that? That. Uh, good question, Julie. Um... I look at it, I'm going to look at it outside of the window, not from my perspective of anything I've done, because in anything I've done, in any case, I've never been off or wrong. It's always been on. I have everything documented, which proves it in the book. I mean, I only put only 15 cases in that book. I'm, like I said, the book was 400 pages. I had to cut it down. Volume 2 is going to have another 15, and the Volume 3 will have another 15. These are all cases with all actual text messages emails, photographs, uh, everything, letters that contest that, you know, solve the case, solve the case, everything's done to a T. Outside of that, and looking at the fact that I got asked, and Kevin knows about the Delphi murders in Indiana, I got, I spoke to the mom of Libby, and at the time, you know, it's hard for a mom because her baby was just murdered, but they brought in 15 different psychics, and I got a list sent to me of all these psychics that were on this case. And when you give information to a detective, they have to follow that lead. They have to follow the leads. So when a psychic says, yada, 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 point one, two, three, four, five, down to 30 points, they have to follow up everything on there that even if it doesn't make sense, they've got to follow it. But then you have like 15 psychics and then all these other people calling and giving tips and they look at and it wastes a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort from the police. When I looked at the list of people that were involved, that were handed to me, I couldn't believe it. And there are people on TV. There are people who have never done murder cases, but they're, on, they're known people that we know. And the points that they were given, in my own perspective, which I will not speak about this case unless I'm hired onto this case, is that they were, they were totally off base from what I, I feel and know that is right in this case. Um, I, just ludicrous things. And it, it, it's sad to say, but 
we can't have 50 million people running around saying they're all psychic detectives and they're all got information when they, you know, they only have one case they solved in their whole life and, you know, not even partial. And the, the reason why I brought the book out, Julie, is to show that, that you got to have a, a straightforward baseline of solving case after case after case after case, naming the murderers, naming, naming where they are, where they work, like Lester Jones, we got a double homicide conviction out of him uh, Christmas of 2016, the 27th of... Respect, you're, but you're, you're still talking about all of the things that have gone really well and the, the things that, you know, have been reasonably, you know, quickly solved with good outcomes. But there will always be those times when information that even you as an experienced psychic detective the information you have might not be the information or you may not interpret it as the information that you, you think and therefore there could be a delay in solving the case. Well, think that's a yeah, I, 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 yeah, I know what you mean. And when we talk about the, on the double homicide in Washington, the two, two different murder cases, when I said, you know, we went down that road and I felt, but we actually found the other body of somebody else. Um, it's delayed because now we're still looking for Kathleen. But it's really funny. We found the bag with all the flip phones, weapons, you know, clothing. These are items that are in the bag. Um, but we still don't have Kathleen. So now we're still pressed to do that. So in an instance, we got a good partial of the case there. We found somebody else's baby, but we're still missing Kathleen, right? So, um, yeah, that's a tough one to bite down on, but, I, you know, we're still looking. We've got a good portion of it. Um, it eats me. Yeah, it, it does. So, ha having said that, Robbie, what would your advice be? <clears throat> Excuse me. I apologize. What would your advice be to, for example, I'm Joe Layton Psychic. Don't know that I have psychic abilities at all. And I'm out mowing my yard, and suddenly I have a vision of a murder and a location of a person that, that is dead. And that night, I see on the news that the police are looking for this murderer. What do I do with that information? How, you know... Uh, if, if I, you know, can't trust myself, you know, what did I just experience, first of all? Uh, second of all, am I really seeing this murder? Third, how do I contact the police about it? I mean, what do you, what, what do, you do with that? You know, I've instructed people in the past decades ago who, who, who said exactly like what you're saying. Journal everything down. Write it down. Don't even, you know, don't exaggerate. What you see, put down precisely what you see. You can go anonymously, as you know, Kevin, and give that tip to the police. They'll have to follow it. Or you can go in person and say, you know, I'd like to speak with the detective and, and give the information. They're going to have to follow that lead. And we hope that Kevin's tip goes to the point and finds the the person that's missing or what happened in that case. I'm really skeptical about this, guys. I've got to be honest, because I think if somebody 
um, just an average Joe Bloggs is mowing a, his lawn and gets a vision and goes to the police, he will become number one suspect. Not necessarily. There have been people I've spoke with who have given tips, and they said when they went into the police, and I know it's different in Europe than it is here because they're very more more apt not to take advice in Europe. They're very hard. So I've done cases in, in Ireland, and it was very difficult. But because I got called in with the family, they wanted to, to, to help find Joanne. Um, but here, you're, they will look at the individual and say, okay, and they'll run through the parameters of, you know, what were you doing, alibi, stuff like that, um, witnesses you were you're at home, you weren't. They'll go through their police work knowing that you're not part of this case and take the tip. There's been a lot of people on cases who have given tips, and they'll have to follow that tip, but then usually it just goes to garbage. I had a lady from Saskatchewan, and great good example of Julie, and I'm glad you asked that too, by the way. Victoria Stafford here in Canada went missing. I'm in police talking to Detective Brown, and I'm in with the family, and this lady says, I sent all my information in on via email, but they ignored me. They didn't, well, what they're doing is not ignoring you. They took your information. It didn't need anywhere, so they throw it out. They're not going to get back to you because it's a waste of their time to call you and say, thank you very much. So, you know, people don't realize that. They think they're either being ignored or if they do come and say, oh, my gosh, you got a hit here. We want to speak to you more. They're interested in how you got that information, and maybe they can get more information out of you to give them that vital piece of evidence to move forward or that little thread that pushes them forward. They're, um, they're not out to arrest everybody because if you, if you really realize when a case happens, like Victoria Stafford, I was there where Rodney, the father, did his lie detector test, and he didn't do too well, but they were trying to blame it on him. But I profiled a man and a woman, and the man and the woman are in jail now, not Rodney. But they look at this stuff, and they know in hindsight, because they're very trained individuals, these police officers, detectives, and they don't just throw salt into the wind and, and, and go, okay, well, you're the suspect now. They have, a, they have a theory, they know what's going on, but they want the outside information, they'll take it from you. Okay, that's a little bit more reassuring. I don't think it would be, I mean, I suppose it's cultural as well, isn't it? And I don't think that would happen so much here. But, um, you know, I, I, I see the value in it, obviously, and I think if people have, because many people said after 9-11, didn't they, that they'd had visions, um, or that they'd had, that all your children had done drawings, etc. But, of course, it's, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And like 9-11, that was so powerful. The, the energy of everything in our world was shook. It, was, it involved so many lives. And we're all, I like to say it, um, genealogically tied through our souls. It's almost like the um, chemical table, you know, like we're all tied, uh, DNA type thing. And we feel things. We do. And when you said all those, you know, people do these drawings and, and seen all this, we were hurting. We were all hurting people because this affected everybody. 
So, Robbie, before, you know, we're, we're beginning to run a little bit short on time. Now, we've been talking about this book. Why don't you tell the listeners about your book? Where can they get it? it I know it's coming out on March the 8th. And under, is it going to be available on Amazon, Books a Million? What? How can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. The special signed edition that is only available through my office is on my website, RobbieThomas.net. It's going to have bonus material in it where America's Most Wanted film crew filming in different shots on scene doing a double homicide with International Police Chief Kevin Smith, the producers from Lamport Shepherd who are from England actually and live in Canada. They have an office there in here. Um, there's a lot of different other photographs of me being on scene with different law enforcement news clippings and how they speak of solving crimes and putting people in jail. Uh, that's all bonus stuff inside there. There's other bonus material cases that are inside there as well. Now, the one going to Amazon, Books a Million, and in stores is going to be a lesser version, and it won't have all that bonus material. So if you want a signed special edition copy, it's RobbieThomas.net, or you can get the other version in the stores coming out very shortly after March 8th. Well, Robbie, it has been an absolute honor to have you on the show. We're going to have to have you back when Volume 2 comes out. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're just some very high for, oh, there's a, really quick, I'll just to tease everybody. This individual was to, when he did appear on America's Got Talent in 2010, his wife was found murdered at the bottom of the Biltmore Hotel, um, landing inside there. Uh, I'm working with LAPD on that right now. It's very, very high profile, and it's very dark. So that will be one that will be in the book, and there's a lot more that's going to be in there as well. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it. The name of the book is Psychic Profiler, The Real Deal, and authored by the psychic profiler himself, Robbie Thomas. Robbie, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. You guys are a pleasure, and so nice to talk to you guys again. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.